Good morning, everybody. Glad to be back together today as we continue on. And, and back in the uh, book of Romans, we continue down this path of a case for the gospel. After taking a break last week to talk through, uh, talk through missions, and it was a, an awesome service. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed uh, delivering the message. It was it's so great to keep our eyes focused on the Great Commission uh, and all the parts of it that, that God has given us, Christ has given to us. But today, let's get back into this as we try to wrap up our, our, our stroll down the Roman road. So go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 14. Uh, fire up your Bible or your devices, open up your Bibles to... Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through the very end. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one of the pew Bibles there near you. They're pre-marked already with today's passage. And just so we can kind of catch up for those may who may have missed, it's been a couple weeks. Uh, if you remember now, we've shifted, Paul has shifted in this, uh, in this epistle here, this letter to Rome, and to more like a lot of his other letters were, where he's addressing an issue that's going on inside the church. Uh, the first chapters, the first 13 chapters, he's really leading up to this, this uh, helping them to understand uh, this, the case of the gospel, the justification by faith, it, it's not by works that we're saved, but it is through the work of Christ that we're all saved. And so he's, he's laid that foundation down, and now he's addressing an issue. And you remember that issue real quick as we look at the beginning of chapter 14. It was, uh, there was some division within the church. They were, they were struggling over uh, non-moral things, minor things that really weren't of importance and so he was trying to get them to understand that it, these aren't the hills that we need to die on. Uh, so let's not let this be the thing that divides the church. For them, it was meat and, uh, and certain days. And he's trying to help them to, that, or to understand and to see that it's, it's okay that there's a difference. It's okay that we don't all look the same, that everybody in the church doesn't act exactly the same, doesn't look the same. As long as we're not walking in sin, it was all right. And so now he's going to continue on building off of that. He, he wants to really help us understand that there, there's a problem that can arise if we want to die on these hills. If we decide that we need to really push this non-moral issue, it actually can lead to, to division. It can lead to struggles. It can lead to, to evil. It can lead to sin. And so he's trying to, he's going to walk through in this in the rest of this passage, walk us through this understanding what happens when we do put these stumbling stones, these obstacles in people's path. And how it can become a hindrance. And that we don't need to take divisions when others see things differently. Even though they, they may have the freedom and the ability to do that. And I can be honest, this has really spoken into me this week. As I've been reading through and studying this. Because as we've talked about, tonight is our trunk or treat. We do have Halloween coming up this week. And I know that Halloween is actually, especially up here we've seen it. It is a major source of division within believers. There's one of two stances that most believers take. They either take the stance that we cannot do anything with it. It is completely pagan. We need to avoid it. It is the worshiping of, of Satan, the enemy, witches and, and warlocks and, and all that. And we need to totally separate ourselves from it. Or you've got the other side, which looks and says, no, we have a freedom in Christ. We have this freedom and we're not worshiping Satan. We're not glorifying the evil things, the pagan side of it. And so why would I miss an opportunity when people come to me and I can share the gospel with them? For me, I tend to lean in that other side. Then why would I miss the opportunity? Instead of me having to go out, they're going to come to me. Why would I miss this if I'm not celebrating the evil things? And really, if we want to get down to it, we talk about the pagan side of it and say that it's paganism and we can't be involved. Listen, every holiday that we celebrate has pagan roots involved in it. Christmas itself, you, we stand up Christmas trees and the green boughs. They were actually from 
pagan rituals. As the, the god in the winter in the Celtics, they thought as night came and it got dark, they thought he was sick. And so they would put up evergreens. They would put up these, these things that looked like they were still alive as a way to heal him and encourage spring to come along. Christmas Day itself, it's celebrated. It's, it's from two different Roman holidays that were going that were being celebrated. One was from about the 17th to the 24th of December, and then it was Sol Invictus celebrating the sun god. That was on Christmas Day, well, in the 4th century when Christianity became the church of Rome. The emperor said, well, we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ, the festival of nativity, on Christmas Day. So everything we have is based in paganism. doesn't mean we're supporting it. doesn't mean we're encouraging it. Listen, I'm of the fact that I think as Christians, we should just take over every holiday, including Toyotathon. We're just going to make them all about Jesus. Let's make it all about Christ. But I don't want to take this stance. As I'm reading this, I'm really, I can get mad and I can say, man, don't you see this? Can't you see you're missing an opportunity? And I would be right by what the freedom we have, but it can cause such greater problems. And so really, as we've talked, me and my wife talked, and I've talked through this, the Lord has spoken into my heart through this passage, as he often does, to help me come to an understanding and a peace. So I want to look at this so we can help understand the dangers of trying to force these things on our fellow brothers and sisters. So if you would, if you can, please stand in honor of reading God's word. We're going to read verses 13 through the end. So beginning in verse 13, Paul writes, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in another brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is not good to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. So, Father, I thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, I invite you in today. Speak into us. Help us to, to see this need to not place stones in our brother's paths. So, Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So Paul had, had just finished telling them that everybody was going to have to give an account to himself. You don't need to be putting up these divisions. Now he wants them to, 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 to look at it as to why. Why we don't need to put these divisions in. He says there in verse 13, he said, Let us not judge one another anymore, but determine this. The, the word judge and determine are actually the same root words in the Greek. They both mean to judge. But what he's telling them is he's, he's saying, You don't need to place yourself in this position and look at it from this way. You need to place yourself over here and look at it another way. 
take yourself outside of your emotional desire. Take yourself outside of, of your, your position and look at it from this angle. You know, that's why we have judges. We have a court of law. We have a judge who's a third party who stands from the outside and looks at it from all angles. And that's what Paul is trying to tell him. He's saying, don't look at it. Don't judge your brother. Instead, look at it from this way. He says, don't put an obstacle, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. Two different terms for an obstacle. Uh, the first one, the, the word for obstacle there, it actually means an object, something that is put in a path. that's It's put there as a means of slowing down or impeding or even tripping up somebody coming along that path. I often think if you picture, uh, if you've seen Saving Private Ryan, and as they're storming onto the beaches of Normandy, there on the beach, the Germans had put these giant, uh, for lack of better terms, because I don't know the exact name for them, uh, it looks like a giant jack from the game Jacks. But these giant metal pieces were laying on the beach. They were there to impede the Allies, to keep them from bringing their tanks and their armed vehicles on and being able to put a major onslaught onto the Germans. It was there to, to hold them back. Well, Paul's telling us, he says, don't put an obstacle in front of the weak brother. He's writing this. He's speaking directly to those who he called strong, those who understood their freedom. He's saying, don't put something that might impede your weaker brothers or sisters walk with the Lord. That might impede them. That might even cause them to, to, to fall back and to, to stop pursuing God. Church, what are the obstacles we're putting in people's way? that keeps them from coming to know the Lord. That they're saying, you know what, I can't, I can't achieve that because this is bothering me still. I can't do that, so I'm not coming in. I'm not going to continue to walk because I can't achieve this goal that they want from me. We've got to be careful that we're not putting obstacles. But then he also says, don't put a stumbling block in your brother's way. This word for stumbling block, this is more of a snare. Putting a snare down there, something to, to catch and trap them. Well, if you think of most snares, you put something inside that snare as a way to tempt them. I think back to growing up, getting up on Sunday mornings, I would go down, or Saturday mornings, I would go down and watch Saturday morning cartoons. Man, I miss those days. I miss Saturday morning cartoons. They don't have any good cartoons anymore. I used to go down there, get my bowl of cereal. I'd go down and I would sit there in my underwear eating my cereal. I couldn't watch Romper Room because she'd always pull that mirror out. She said she could see me. But I would watch Looney Tunes. And you always had Wiley e. Coyote, and he would place the, the loop down there, the snare. He's trying to capture the roadrunner, and he would put the seeds in there, something to tempt them to come into it. Well, that's what Paul's saying these stumbling blocks are. It's a snare. If we put something in our brother's way, our sister's way, that might trap them, it might tempt them to not only go against their convictions, but to even fall further and further down the line. Apparently, I'm having a wardrobe malfunction. There we go. So, Well, hey, you know what? That's a beauty pageant. But we don't want to put something that might tempt them into even falling for it. Because, see, here's the problem. They, if we convince them to do something that's going against their conviction, that it's not a non-moral, or it's a non-moral issue, it's not a sin they're going against, yeah, okay, I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to eat the meat because I have this freedom. They say I have it. They may not truly understand. They may have the knowledge that they have the freedom, but they don't have the heart for it yet. And because they don't have it all together, they may say, oh, well, if I've got the freedom in Christ for this, now I can do this. 
well, now I can do this. They're not far enough along in their walk. They're stumbling over something. Now you've created a way, a temptation that actually leads down a road to sin. All of a sudden, now they're using their freedom in Christ as a get-out-of-jail-free card, their fireproof insurance. And so Paul warns us not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in their way. Now, I'm here to tell you, God put a stumbling block in man's way, and that was Jesus Christ, and that's okay. For God to put Christ as a stumbling block, that's okay. Look at Isaiah 8.14. It talks about that specifically. We see Christ being referred to. He says, Then he shall become a sanctuary, but to both the house of Israel a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It's one thing for God to put Jesus Christ as a stumbling block in people's path. It's another thing for us to put stumbling blocks in people's walk with the Lord. It's another thing for us to put objects in the way of someone else. And it's something to be feared. It's something for us to really make sure we're taking heed of as believers and that we're not impeding someone coming to know Christ. In Matthew... Or Mark, I'm sorry. In Mark, chapter 9, Jesus is talking about those coming to Christ. And he gives a warning to, to his disciples. He says in Mark 9, 42, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him with a heavy millstone hung around his neck he had, if he had been cast into the sea. Jesus is saying if we cause someone to stumble in their walk, it's better off if we were dead. It's better off if we weren't even there. He's saying don't get in the way of people and Jesus. Don't take non-moral issues. That was a non-moral issue they had there. And that passage, they were upset because people were casting out demons. They were preaching in Jesus' name. He says, who cares? If they're doing it in my name, let them go. Why would you stop? them from doing good. We want to make sure we're not stopping someone in their walk with the Lord. That we're not putting a stumbling block. I said, we may be right. We may be right in our freedom to say, man, why, are you, why, why don't you just let go of this and understand? That's what Paul says. He says, I know and I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean. Remember, he's talking about meat. He's talking about the food. And he says, I know it's not, that it's fine to eat it. We might be right. Paul says, I know I am. But he says, but to him who thinks it isn't, thinks it's unclean, it is. If the Lord is weighing on a person for whatever reason, just because they might have the mind knowledge, but they don't have the heart knowledge, they're not fully bought into it, and they feel that, that I can't do this, I can't be part of trunk or treat, I can't be part of Halloween because of what the Lord's weighing on me, whatever, it may be cultural reasons, it may be whatever it is. If that's how God's weighing on them, that's fine. We don't need to put a stumbling stone up for them that causes them to fall back. Because to them, it, it is. It's still wrong. It is okay. It's not a moral issue that we need to be taking a stand and we need to be dying on and causing division and separation on. And that's all it's going to do. As a matter of fact, Paul helps us to see what happens when we do take that stand. When we take that stand with them. In verse 15, he says, For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Man, you see, 
We're not walking according to love. That's what we're called to do with our brothers and sisters. We're not called to break our brothers and sisters down. We're not called to destroy them. We're called to build them up, to help equip them in their walk, to make disciples, to continue to make disciples, to draw them closer to Jesus, not put something that separates them further away. And he's saying if because of what we're doing, it, it might cause them to hurt. It might cause a pain as they relive that memory of that this is against what they want, what they feel the Lord weighing on them. If you've got a family member who's maybe an alcoholic, a recovered alcoholic who struggles with alcoholism, I pray that you don't drink in front of them. I know that I don't. People I know that struggle with, I don't, I don't drink at all. But when I did, I didn't drink in front of them. Because I, I know the pain it caused them as they recounted all the hurt they'd had, all the problems they had dealt with. And it brought hurt to them. And it wasn't being loving. But Paul says there's an even greater problem that can come with this. Not only can it cause hurt, he says, do not destroy with your food. It can, can destroy them. Because when a person turns from what their convictions are on a non-moral issue, what God has weighed on their conscience, they've now that, that non-moral issue has turned into a sin. They've gone against the conviction that God has placed on their heart. Paul says, you don't want to destroy that which God, which Christ has died for. He's trying to help paint this picture for us to see the amazing sacrifice that Jesus made for that person so they could be saved. And we're trying to break it down over something that's so insignificant. Something that's so minor as a non-moral issue. Because they don't look like us. Because they don't do the things that we think they should do. And it doesn't even matter. But when we convert, when we destroy them, when we try to change them that, now it does matter because it's become a sin. It becomes evil. And that's what Paul warns about. He says, do not let what is a good thing, what is for you a good thing, be spoken of as evil. Yeah, we have that freedom in Christ, and that's good for us. We can walk in that freedom. We can stand firmly knowing that what we're doing is not a sin, but for the one who goes against his conscience, it becomes a sin. Now it's evil. And I got news. Good things are used for evil all the time. We even see in the Bible how things that God gave for good, man can turn it to evil. If we look at the serpent, the bronze serpent that Moses made. God commanded him to make this serpent, stand it up on a pole, and for those who looked upon it, they would not die when the snakes bit them. We read on down the line in 1 Kings that that serpent had to be destroyed because they turned it into an idol, and they were worshiping it, and now it became a stumbling block for those who were walking with God. If we're trying to impose on people in ways that cause them to turn into us instead of turn into Jesus. And it causes them to trip up. It causes them to stumble in their walk. We're taking something that's good and we're making it evil. Freedom is a good thing when it's maintained in the proper context. Freedom in Christ is often used out of context. It's used as a way to get away with what we want. It's used as a way to live a life of debauchery, to use a life of sin. 
we got to make sure that we're not abusing this freedom. He says that's not what it's about. This isn't about that. It's not about non-moral issues. It's about the kingdom of God. In verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not eating and drinking. You're taking a non-moral issue, something that's not important. You're trying to make it about the kingdom. That's not what it's about. You're trying to set standards that aren't right. Really, it's, it's reverse of the Pharisees. The Pharisees set the bar so high that no matter what anybody did, they were never going to be good enough. They couldn't live the life they were supposed to. Well, this is taking it to the other end. This is setting the bar so low, no matter how, how liberal a person is, it's never going to be good enough. We're taking them to the other end. We're setting things that are in their way, objects that stumble them in their walk. The Pharisees put rules upon rules upon rules that kept people from coming to God. And that's not what the kingdom's about. He says it's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Christ came not to die so that we could eat meat. He didn't come to die so we could celebrate certain holidays. Jesus came to die to bring righteousness into the world. That's what the kingdom's about. It's about righteousness, not these minor petty things. It's not about whether we're singing hymns or contemporary songs. It's not about whether we make the room dark or we keep it lit up and it looks like a basketball gym. He came to bring righteousness. He came to bring peace into the world, peace between man and God. And with that, we have joy as we have the freedom that he's offered to us. So we need to keep our eyes focused on the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man, because all these other things, that's the kingdom of man. That's the things we want out of the church. And that's not what it's about. Paul says, keep your eyes focused on God. If you do, you're not going to cause these problems. You're not going to be that impedance to your brother and sister. And what it's going to ultimately do is it's going to please both of them. If we keep our eyes focused on the kingdom, people, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, if you can keep them focused on the kingdom and everything you do, you're going to please men and you're going to please God. There are going to be those who won't because they don't want to focus on the kingdom. But when we're all looking at Christ, when we're all looking at the cross, he says we'll be acceptable. Because now I found peace with my brother. Even though you don't want to come partake in this event we're doing, that's okay. You know what? You don't want to come? Good. Stay home and pray for us. I want you to pray for us while we're there. Pray that we have opportunities to share the gospel. And now I've made peace with my brother. And God finds that acceptable because I'm still living in the freedom that I've been given. I'm still living on the mission that God has given to us. So how do we do this? How do we seek the kingdom of God here? When we know that we're right, we know that it's okay, but they're struggling. He says, stop focusing on that. He says, focus on your brother instead. Verse 19, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Are we pursuing peace? The things that make for, not the things that make for division, not the things that separate one another. And listen, I've been in churches, I've sat in church meetings where it's nothing more than one argument after another. 
because we're using this word instead of that word. And what should have been a two-minute discussion ends up in a three-week committee because we can't decide on which verb we want to use. Let's find a way to find peace and to build one another up. Again, we're here to build our brothers up. We're here to equip the saints. My job is to equip the saints for the work of the church. Not to bring you down. I tell my sons, I've got three boys. They don't always get along. Can you believe that? They fight sometimes. And I tell them, don't bring your brothers down. The world wants to crush your brothers. The world wants to break them down. You need to build each other up. We need to build each other up. Build each other up in the the faith that we have. Build each other up in the, the mission that we have. Not break each other down. But I know that I'm right. I know it's right. So what? Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians. Yeah, maybe it is right. But so what? 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24, he says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. He says, so what? It doesn't matter if it's all okay. Is it helping your brother out? Is it helping your sister out? Is it building them up? Is it equipping them? Is it getting them more on mission, drawing them closer to Jesus? If it's not, it doesn't matter. Who cares if it's okay? I think of the movie Jurassic Park with Jeff Goldblum, and I'll probably mess this up, but he makes a comment as he's looking at the dinosaurs. He says, your scientists were so busy wondering if they could, they never stopped to ask if they should. Are we so busy wondering if we can do this that we Don't stop and say, should we do this? Should we be bringing this weight upon each other? Yeah, we can, but should we be? It says in verse 21, it's not good to eat meat or to drink wine or to drink anything by which your brother stumbles. He's saying it's not good to do it. What he's saying is we have to be willing to alter our lives. We have to be willing to alter our lives. Are we willing to make the change that alters our lives for our brothers and sisters? To help them in their walk, not to hold them back. Listen, most of us in here have kids, have had kids. Some of them have gotten pretty darn big right now. But they weren't always that big, and they were little. When your kids are little, they got little short legs. I got long legs. I don't drag my kids when they were little. I didn't drag them along. I had to alter my pace to walk with my kids, to lead them where I wanted them to go. I had to slow down, maybe crouch down even, to help walk with them to where they needed to go. Christians, are we willing to slow down our pace, to alter our pace to help our weaker brothers and sisters in their walk with the Lord? Are we willing to make the changes in our lives to help them? I skipped over 20 because I felt it was important that we understood that part before we go back. That we understand that we need to alter our walks. Because if we don't, Paul gives a warning there. He says, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. He's saying, do not tear down the work of God. What he's saying is, if we don't do that, if we aren't willing to alter our walk, if we are going to die on all these molehills, 
it can seriously damage the church. It can seriously damage the church. If we cause a brother or sister to fall away from the church, how many people, we all know people, how many people do we know that don't go to church anymore because I had a bad encounter at the church? How many people do we know that have children who have walked away from the church because they had a bad encounter at the church? What could we have done as a church, as a body, instead of putting blocks in their way that stumble? What could we have done to help them walk along instead? How can we be clearing paths? We already know the path is narrow. Why do we want to put stuff in the way of it? What can we be doing as a church to help our brothers and sisters Christ and those outside the church to be able to come in and be in a relationship with Christ, to have that relationship that God is offering Paul reminds them, he says, yes, all things are clean. Yes. But if they're evil to the one who gives them. It's just that reminder, just because it's good for you doesn't mean it's necessarily going to benefit them. So we've got to learn how to alter our walks. We've got to learn how to not die on those molehills. Now, if it's a sin, again, if someone is walking in sin, that's a different story. We have an obligation and a duty as Christians, there's my son's favorite word, as Christians to call out sins of our brothers and sisters. Yeah, you'll never hear that word again without giggling. We have an obligation if it's a sin, but if it's not a sin, let's not be dragging them down. Let's stand in the freedom that we have and enjoy it. Verse 22, the faith you have as your own, have as your own conviction before God. If that's what you understand, you understand freedom, stand in it. Rejoice in that freedom and that God has shown you that that is not a sin and that it's okay. He actually kind of gives a, like a duh statement there. He says, happy is the one who does not condemn himself and what he approves. I tell you, I'm pretty happy when I don't condemn myself over the things I choose to do. I am. Duh. But he gives a warning there again, and it's that last warning that I want us to focus on. He says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Why? Because they're not doing what they're doing from faith. They're actually doing it because it's a sin. They have now turned from their faith, and they've turned to a sin. We don't want to be drawing our brothers and sisters from a faith to sin. We want to walk with them. We need to be clearing paths. We need to be opening doors. We need to be building the way for people to come to know Christ. And listen, he uses the term here in 14. He uses the term weak and the strong. And it's easy for us to try to take that morally superior high ground and say, I'm the strong, but I got news. We're all weak in some point. There is something that I think is wrong and you may not. And it's a non-moral issue and that's okay. And then there's things that I think aren't wrong and you think aren't. It's a non-moral issue and that's okay. We're all weak. We're all strong. None of us are only strong and none of us are only weak. So in those times when we think we need to really take that battle, just think, do you want your brother to have that battle with you on your weak point? Because there are. There are Things for every one of us. It might be alcohol. It might be a holiday. It might be cigarettes. It might be language. There's something that we all are weak in. 
if we look at the big picture with Christ, it doesn't matter. The focus needs to be on the kingdom. Let's not put stumbling blocks in front of our brothers and sisters. Let's build them up. Let's help them to walk in that glorious path that Jesus has laid out before them. And that glorious path, glorious path, that's a tongue twister, began with the gospel. It began with Jesus Christ coming to this earth to bring righteousness and peace and joy. The gospel is simply this, that you were created on purpose and for a great purpose. Purpose was not to be rich. Purpose was not to see the world. That's a bonus if you get to do that. But your purpose was to have a relationship with God. But unfortunately, because of sin, sin that entered the world through Adam and Eve, through each and every one of us, progressed into each one of our children, will continue until the Lord returns. We are separated from a holy and perfect God. And so, in all his wisdom, he saw our greatest need, and that was for a Savior. So at just the right moment in time, he sent down his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin and to do the thing we could not do. And he lived a sinless life. He walked in complete obedience to everything God commanded. Christ went to the cross where he bore the wrath of God for your sins and mine. He died for your sins. Not his, because he was sinless. The wages of sin is death. He died for your sins and for mine. He was buried and he arose on the third day proving he was who he says he was. He could do what he says he could do. He proved he was God and he overcame death. Death had been defeated once and for all. Listen, if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you too can be saved. You will be saved, but you've got to take that first step of obedience and that's you've got to confess your sins. You've got to own your part. The world will tell us that you're a good person, will tell us that, that we don't do bad things, and the truth is we're all sinners. We've got to own that peace. And then we have that promise that God will forgive us of all our sins through his son, Jesus Christ. So I encourage you today, if you've never done that, if you've never taken that step of obedience, man, that's the first, first step. Just lay it out for him. Accept that you're a broken sinner. We all are. That's not something degrading. I know a lot of people say, oh, we can't do that because that makes people feel bad. We need to feel bad. We've done bad things. But we have hope because we have Jesus, and he's done a great thing. And he's overcome the sins of the world. And so if you've not done that, I encourage you, come visit with me. Visit with someone else in here. We'd love to talk with you about it. Uh, and then the next step from there is that first act of obedience, the baptisms that we got coming up, and I'd love to visit more with you about that. But it starts with confessing your sins. And church, please, let's not put obstacles up in the way. I don't want to beat a dog to death, but I've seen too many times little stumbling stones that cause people to fall away from their faith. Jesus is so much bigger than a pebble. Let's stop putting pebbles in people's way. That's all they are. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for uh, the breath in our lungs. I thank you for the sun in the sky. I thank you for this body of believers who have gathered here today, who have made it a priority to come together. Lord, I pray that's what we continue to do is to come together, not to bring division, not to bring separation, not to put stumbling stones in the way of our brothers and sisters. Lord, we can see the dangers that can come from it. Lord, we don't want to trip people up. You have done so much to eliminate the tripping hazard. You have separated sin 
from broken people through your son. And so, Father, I pray, I pray for those in here who have not accepted that. Uh, maybe someone online who hears this has not accepted Christ as their Savior. Maybe that today is today that your spirit works on their heart, convicts them of their sin and their need for a Savior. I pray that today is the day they hand it all over. And that glorifying act of obedience, they submit to you. They cry out to Jesus as their Savior and their King. Lord, for those of us who have put our faith in you, Lord, I pray that we can do everything we can to build up our brothers and sisters. Lord, this world wants nothing more to do than to break us down, to break your church down, to stomp on us, to tell us that you are not good. And Lord, we know that's a lie. And so Lord, let us help to build those truths into our children, into our spouses, our families. Lord, let everything we do be a witness for you. Lord, if we can't even lift each other up, how are we going to lift up those who are broken in the world. Father, let us not get divided on the mundane, but let us keep our eyes on the kingdom of God. Let us pursue righteousness in all that we do, Lord. Let, let us hunger for righteousness daily. Let us seek peace with all men. Let us bask in the joy of forgiveness that we have in Christ. So, Father, I am thankful for your loving kindness. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful for your blood that washed away our sins. And, Spirit, I'm thankful that you speak into us daily to guide us down the path of righteousness. So, Lord, let us be found faithful in all we do. Lord, I pray for tonight. I pray there are many opportunities for your gospel to go out. I pray there are seeds that are planted. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen.